Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. How are you? And you came even though it was sunny, which is a huge deal in Portland, Oregon, as you know. Um, we're glad that you're here. Can we give some love to those who are watching online with us this morning? We are glad that you're here. Um, we are in the book of Hebrews. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for several months. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And as we've walked through the book of Hebrews, we're moving towards the end. In fact, next week we'll be wrapping up the book. And I hope you have, um, I hope it's been formative for you. I feel like Hebrews is this book that has this huge vision of Christ and yet is so practical in, in talking about what Jesus is doing right now and preparing us to really live out our faith in the tensions of a world that is calling us to allegiances to different kings and kingdoms. And we're, we're in a section where we have looked at where the writer is calling the, the little Jewish community in Rome to finally run this race with perseverance. That they're, they're a small community of faith. They're being tempted to abandon Jesus and to basically go back to Judaism and to connect with this movement of zealots to overthrow Rome and to try to establish God's Jewish kingdom on earth. And the writer has been arguing from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is God's full and final speech and revelation and that in the fullness of God's revelation in Jesus, he has given us a priest and a king that was better than Moses, better than the angels, better than anything that has come before, that he was our once for all sacrifice. And that because of Jesus now, we can approach God, we can go closer and be more intimate with God than anyone ever has been able to before. And so we now are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, to boldly approach the throne. But we must run this race with perseverance, and that's gonna mean a life of faith. And a life of faith is gonna be a life where we're looking forward to a city that's foundation and builder is God, in a world full of empires and nations with other agendas, that we are essentially in this world but not of this world, and so we will be strangers here in some sense, and we will need to persevere in faith. And he's challenging them to run this race with perseverance. And today he's gonna, he's gonna essentially ask the question, how do we respond when our world is shaken? Because their world is being shaken at the moment. 
Um, They're being oppressed by Rome. They're being tempted by the zealots to take over Rome. And you and I have just been through two and a half years where our world has been shaken. And when our world is shaken, it reveals, in a sense, how deeply our attachments are held, like the places where our security is in. And ultimately, how do we respond to God if God is really all we have? And so those moments when the shaking comes, when the pandemic first started and we see like we, we all run to the grocery store and buy all the toilet paper we can find. And you think to yourself like, this is what we need more than anything else, not water or food or anything. We need toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know, it's just a, it's just a question I had. Um, but, but what happens when our life is shaking is that we essentially realize, man, the, there are places that I have attached my heart where I found security, where I found hope, where I found comfort, that I, that I was looking for these people or things to save me and those things got shaken and my life feels really insecure, really scary right now. And when that shaking happens, you realize, man, I haven't attached my heart in these places to God. And in this race of faith that Hebrews, the writer, is calling us to, the writer wants us to finish this race well. And one of the requirements of running well is, along with fixing our eyes on Jesus and approaching God's throne of grace, and where others have walked through, but to finish the race well, we are going to need to wrap our hearts around the unshakable God. We are going to need to detach ourselves from the crumbling and fragile things that cannot secure us. And in order to kind of address this, The writer tells the story of these two mountains. Uh, He wants to teach this by telling the story of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Again, these are Old Testament lessons that he brings them into that they would be very familiar with, that you and I as not Israelites are just like, what, you know? Um, But Mount Sinai was the mountain that God took Israel to when he rescued them from Egypt. And it was the mountain where he gave them the Ten Commandments. And Mount Zion is the, is the mountain right at the base of Jerusalem where the kingdom of David was established. And so it was uh, the mountain where the kingdom was, and the dynasty of God's reign showed up. And so if you have your Bible, follow with me at chapter 12, verse 18. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words 
that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the word than the blood of Abel. He goes on to say, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us, thank, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So he begins by telling us about Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and Mount Sinai is the mountain that they came to when they were rescued from Egypt. They traveled through the wilderness and they traveled through the desert of Sinai and they came to camp at the foot of this mountain. And God calls Moses up to the mountain and he says to him, you saw what I did in Egypt, right? How I carried you out of Egypt on eagle's wings and I brought you out myself. And, and he says to him, now if you obey me, if the people obey me and they keep my covenant, then out of all the nations on earth, they will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation." And so go tell the Israelites that. And Moses goes down there and he gathers the elders and he says to the elders, this is what God says, this is what Yahweh says. And they agree, yes, we will obey him. We will be his people and he will be our God. And so Moses goes back and he tells the Lord and the Lord says, okay, this is great. So you tell them that I'm coming down in a dense cloud. Like basically God is gonna come down and visit the people. And he says, now make sure that they don't come too close to the mountain. They need to consecrate themselves, put a little uh, you know, fence around the mountain. Don't let anybody come close, because he's a holy God, they're sinful people. You wanna protect them. And wait till the trumpets blast and then they can approach. And Moses is like, okay, I'm gonna tell him that. And the people consecrate themselves 
In Exodus chapter 19, it says this, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And then God gives them the Ten Commandments, and he rolls it out to the people. And here are the people of God. They're sitting there, and, and they hear Moses and God speaking. And God is giving them the commandments, and he's making covenant with them. And, and their response to them, the response to this moment in Exodus chapter 20 is this, it says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain and the smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us anymore, <laughs> right? Or we'll die, basically. They're like, yeah, thanks for this experience, this was nice. But how about you do the talking to God from now on and we'll just be like, okay, we'll, yeah, we'll do what you say, even though they never did what he said. And the old covenant of Mount Sinai is a covenant of holiness that reveals the people's need. It reveals our need for sin and our need for God and our need for redemption and essentially was a covenant that was pointing to the fact that we need a savior. But at the same time, it showed us that, that this God of that covenant was a God that would be with them, that would fight for them, that would be a father to them. And yet the result was that when God shows up and he shakes the world with his holy presence, the people are terrified and they just want God to be quiet, right? Just be quiet. Just, God, shut up. Mount Zion is in Jerusalem. And before that place is the place of David, it is the place of Melchizedek, which we talked about in the book of Hebrews, who was a, a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. It was the city of Salem. And the contrast between Sinai and Zion is remarkably different. And so the writer uses Mount Zion to point to a heavenly reality of where our faith is leading us. And he's saying to these Jewish believers, do you want to go back to that mountain? Or do you want to press on and go to this Zion, this city that awaits us, the city of the living God, this heavenly Jerusalem where there are thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly where the church of the firstborn, that is Jesus, and where your name is written in heaven, where God who 
is the judge of all and the spirits of those faithful people who have followed him have been made perfect and Jesus who has been who has mediated to us a better covenant than Moses and Abel's speaks um, when he talks about whose who sprinkled blood speaks of a better uh, voice than Abel. You remember in Genesis where Cain kills Abel and God walks through the garden and he talks to Cain and he's like, where is Abel? And he says, I can hear Abel's blood cry from the ground because Abel's blood was crying for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus that sprinkled us has, is, a, is the blood that speaks of grace. Now remember, he's writing to a church that is tempted by these zealots to abandon Jesus and to join this call to take up arms against Rome and to establish God's Jewish kingdom on earth. But the writer says, you need to realize that if you do that, you're going back to Sinai. But God is calling us to Zion, which has been remade through Jesus, who dwells in heaven, not on earth, and that is where this race is leading us. This is the kingdom that we're receiving. And so he's essentially sort of subtly asking them, what do you do when your world gets shaken up? Do we trust that, that God's good Zion is coming? Or do we tremble at Sinai and hope God just leaves us alone? See, Zion faith moves us towards that hope, moves us towards approaching God, trusting that, yeah, these things will fall away. This world is supposed to get shaken. But Sinai just fills us with fear. Like, man, this God could do anything, and I don't like what he's allowing to happen, and so I just want him to go back up the mountain. Just get out of here. When I, my own confession is realizing that, like, how, when I, when I look out at Portland right now, and kind of the shambles that it's in, and and um, what, you know, where COVID has, has taken us and what it's done to churches and you know, you're just sitting there going, why has this happened? And yet, at the same time, you realize that, that, that it's important that the veneer gets taken away, that the illusion gets stripped away of of what Portland, the myth of Portland gets stripped away, right? The Portlandia gets stripped away. That there is a need, there is darkness, there are, there are these places of desperation that have always existed within our city, but we can polish them up, we can make them look good. And how content I am to just go, can we just polish it back up and make it look good? God, can you just go back up the mountain? 
Don't shake it too hard. It's too much power. It's too much out of our control. It's too much out of our comfort zone. And when God does that to our lives personally, what we may end up doing instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus and pushing in is we may be saying, God, I don't want to hear your voice. I just want you to kind of move away. And we forget you're not at Mount Sinai at all. You're supposed to be at Mount Zion. And the issue is attachment. That what's being shaken are things that I've wrapped my heart around that are taking the place of God in my life. And I wish that they weren't as fragile as they actually are. And God has every right to let my idols rattle. And so when the world gets shaken, when your world gets shaken, do you trust that God's good Zion is coming? Or do you tremble at Sinai and hope God leaves you alone? See, it's why he moves then to say, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns from heaven? In other words, if what happened way back there in in an old covenant that wasn't as good as the new covenant that Jesus that has come and made every way that has forgiven us, that has brought us in and said, come into the very presence of God, my spirit will indwell you, and we still continue to say yes, but I want to attach my heart to the things that are of this world and not you, and I will refuse to listen to those warnings. Then he says, man, you are gonna be in a hurting place because my kingdom is coming. And the reason the writer is writing this is out of grace to say, I want you to finish this race well. And in order to do that, you need to let go of your worldly attachments and start to attach your heart more and more to the unshakable Jesus. He says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, speaking of Sinai, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, the created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And he's quoting the, the Old Testament prophet Haggai. And Haggai is prophesying during the rebuilding of the temple, uh, the second temple, during Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And they're having to rebuild this temple and they don't have any money. These are exiles that are returning to their home. And Haggai prophesy is in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. And the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place I will grant peace. And for those exiles, this prophecy had an immediate meaning. The national shaking on the ground meant that the, a new king, Darius, arose. And another king, Artaxerxes, arose. And they actually paid for the rebuilding of the temple because God says the silver and the gold is mine. But the writer of Hebrews takes this same prophecy and he says, but this also points to the eternal kingdom that is coming. And it's very important that you understand, brothers and sisters, he's saying that the things that can be shaken will be shaken and will ultimately be removed. And if our hearts are wrapped around them, we're going to be so disappointed. We're going to be so um, broken and fearful and anxious. But if our hearts are attached to the one thing that will remain, right, so that what cannot be shaken may remain, then we're golden. And so for that Jewish community in, in Rome, it meant they needed to hold on during the shaking of Rome not to take up arms, not to go to war, but to listen to Jesus. They needed to persevere in their faith and run in unity rather than turn away and try to establish another temporary kingdom. They needed to develop a detachment to what can be shaken, to learn to cling to this eternal unshaken kingdom. And this word for them, this Roman Jewish church, is the same word that we need to hear for ourselves today. The last two years, I don't think, is the shaking of the end times. I don't think this is the Armageddon. I don't think it's any of that as much as you can go on YouTube and hear that it is. I don't recommend that you do that either. But I do believe it's tremors. It's a God that is looking down on a, a global world that is now a global citizenship at the way of power and wealth and control and the bigger over the smaller and the stronger over the weak and security and comfort for the few over the many and the broken and godless enterprise that is headed for self-destruction and filled with self-delusion 
that God can bring to its knees with the slightest rattle, with a microscopic virus. Now, did he create it? Did he allow it? I don't know. I just know that it was a virus. And so how important is it to recognize the ways in which our hearts have trusted in those false promises and those counterfeit securities for our ultimate sense of well-being? He says, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. And what he's saying essentially is, in other words, who are you listening to? Where are you getting your information? Whose words are shaping your understanding and your outlook about the times that we live that dictates your choices and your decisions and your worldview? And if Jesus is the fullest and final speech of God, Jesus is the message that determines our hope in shaking times. He is the message because his way and truth is unshakable. There is a dramatic debate going on right now in some conservative circles because um, Rod Dreyer and some other, they're, they're sort of writers in uh, conservative Christian political spheres that have followed Tim Keller, who is a friend of mine and a pastor in New York, and he's very thoughtful, that believes that we can be Christian who stand in our convictions and can be kind and civil. I mean, it's, this stuff is just crazy. He, I don't know where he came up with it. And, um, and, and that we, we should follow the commands of Jesus even in our civil discourse and, and has created sort of this third way that I believe we have tried to practice here at Imago. And there are a growing mountain group of people that have, that have said, I think this is no longer the time for kindness and civility, that that time is past. And I used to be fans of Keller, but I think that time's gone. And what you're hearing in these writers who are now sort of Christians who are leaving the ship, so to speak, of the way of Jesus to go to war with the weapons of culture, the weapons of power and politics, is you're hearing them say, this kingdom doesn't feel secure enough in this moment, so I'm choosing a different kingdom. And this writer is saying, if you do that, then Jesus is going to be of no use to you because you're wrapping your hearts around something that will shake and break and crumble and be destroyed. How important is it to recognize the ways in which our hearts have trusted those false promises and those counterfeit 
securities for our ultimate sense of well-being. And brothers and sisters, we, cre- we carry around computers in our pockets that, that preach to us all day long uh, these messages of counterfeit promises and securities, right? I got you for like, what, 30 minutes? So let me ask you some questions. Is Jesus your confidence today? Is he your ultimate comfort in the pandemic? Is his provision your security when the stock market is volatile and inflation is going up? Is his kingdom of hope your way when our politicians try to polarize us with fear? Is his love your go-to when anger and cancel culture is the way of social conversation? In the real fear of viruses and loss, is Jesus' kingdom without end your comfort and security? You see, if we try to stop the world from shaking with the same things that made the world shake in the first place, we're gonna end up back at Mount Sinai. Trembling for God with fear, but we have not been brought to a mountain of fear. We've been brought into the very presence of the king of the unshakable kingdom. And so can you see the shaking as God's hand graciously warning us to prepare for the kingdom that will be the last thing standing? That we find ourselves running this race of faith with our eyes on Jesus approaching his throne, learning day by day how to detach from this so we can attach to him. And as he writes, as he wraps up this this warning, he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And he quotes Deuteronomy 4.24, and in that phrase, our God is a consuming fire, is kind of hinting back at Mount Sinai, but he's flipping it to talk about the unshaking kingdom, right? In Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, for your, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In other words, this is a God that is shaking us because he loves us and he's jealous for us. And there's two main ways in the Old Testament that God as a consuming fire sort of shows up. The main way is towards the enemies of God's people, that God is their protector and fights their battle. But the second way is to elicit reverence, that God is a purifying fire of holiness 
jealous in his love for us, that he, he'll not share his glory with our false idols and our fake idols that we cling to. And he, he will not withhold his judgment on the fragile and temporary things that we have worshiped in his place. And so he says, since we are receiving this unshakable kingdom, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because we, we know that he is who he says he is. And it really is this, um, this encouragement because he gives us these two practices of attachment or detachment. And they're gratitude and worship. Why gratitude and worship? Because really those are practices that lead us to let go. Like if, if we're practicing thankfulness to God, then, then what we're doing is we're focusing our mind up and out of ourselves and our stuff and on to God. We're recognizing that all these created blessings that we've been able to enjoy, that are ours to enjoy, are actually originating in God's goodness and God's love. And so we're appropriately interacting with those blessings. We are giving him glory and praise because he's the creator, but we're not turning created things into idols by worshiping them as ultimate things. And so gratitude helps us by allowing us to push thankfulness up and out of our hearts and up into God. And then worship is a practice because worship is the thing that wraps our hearts around something. And so when our heart attaches, it attaches because we worship it. Now we might not say that we're worshiping money. We're not like, we don't set it out on a table and we don't like, I love you. You know, we don't do it like that. But it becomes an ultimate thing in our heart because of, how, because of what we give it, the energy, the power we give it. Money's not evil, but it's the love of money that leads us down negative trails. And so worship is that practice that keeps our heart attached to God. This is what we're made for. And too often our attachments on created things which become ultimate things prevent us from that full sense of trust and surrender. And they can be small or they can be big. St. John of the Cross, who was a uh, early church father, had this great saying that a bird that is tethered to the ground with a tiny string or a chain is still tethered to the ground. Meaning, those of us, you might look at somebody with like some, oh man, that guy's got some gnarly problem and I'm so much better than him. And he's just saying any attachment that is an attachment to someone or thing other than God is still keeping you from flying into the presence of Jesus. And if we remain attached to those things, 
then any shaking that occurs in our life leads us back to fear and pushes us away from God, saying, God, leave us alone. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is that he leads us in surrender, right? And I think that's the invitation this morning is, is to come and to surrender our false attachments, to surrender those outcomes that we demand for our life, for our relationships. And we all do this. And I find myself realizing I have outcomes I didn't know I had outcomes that I expect, right? I thought I gave them all up and then I'll be like on the phone with my dad and I'm like, huh, I really had an outcome for that. I had an expectation for this to go a certain way and now I'm super bummed and super disappointed and, and that expectation actually prevented me from just loving him for who he is. And, and the more and it, that I can be untethered from those things, then I'm free, right? To be the, who Jesus is calling me to be. And when the world gets shaken, it's not that, it's not that I'm not going to be afraid when there's a, the next pandemic or whatever. The fear is a normal response but we can press in and press on. We can practice gratitude and worship freely to attach our hearts and hopes to the unshakable king. And in the midst of quaking nations and broken systems and national anger and anxiety and scandals and war, Jesus will have his people worshiping his greatness and power through dust and tears, a thankful following with hearts set free that are locked on an unshakable king. And so what does it mean for you to begin to run the race like that this morning? As the worship team comes, I would just, I just invite us this morning, because all of us have these attachments, right? To invite the Holy Spirit to begin to lead us in places of surrender. The reason every week that we have people at the prayer doors is because we don't believe that the sermon is the main part of the service. The main part of the service is after the sermon when we, when we do business with God in communion and worship. And that's time for us to, to respond. And for some of you, that might mean confessing to God that God, man, for the last two years, I've been at Mount Sinai. I've been afraid of you. I haven't wanted to hear your voice. I've been scared. And I've been at the wrong mountain this whole time. And what does it look like for you to realize that that's not where you're at? And the good and gracious God of Jesus 
has brought you to Mount Zion by his mercy and his blood. To look up and to fix your eyes on him. He receives you today. And for some of you, you need to, you need to begin to surrender, even if it's just letting God know how angry you are, how upset you are, that, that it didn't go the way you had hoped, that the outcome wasn't what you wanted it to be. Part of it is just voicing what those attachments were because he's a loving father, right? And you're his daughter and you're his son and you can bring that to him. And in his kindness and mercy, he receives that confession. But what does it mean for you today to begin to be cut free from those things that tether our hearts away from the unshakable king. If you would take out your communion cups this morning, we remember that the whole reason that we can endure and persevere and attach our hearts to the unshakable kingdom is because Jesus himself was willing to come down into the brokenness of quaking nations and broken systems and to surrender his body to their wicked ways so that it would be broken for us instead of us, that we might be brought into his unshakable kingdom. And on the night that he was betrayed, he foretold that to his disciples at a meal when he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. And every time you eat this bread, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, not the cup of Mount Sinai, of the quaking fear and the trembling, but this is the cup of Mount Zion the cup of mercy and grace atoned for and sprinkled by my own blood, Jesus said. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me, the cup of the Lord. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father God, we come before you as, as your children this morning, God, admitting that our, our own hearts are fragile and um, tempted to attach themselves to so many lesser things.
and we carry the fear and the anxiety of being at the wrong mountain at the wrong time and trusting in the wrong people and the wrong things. But this morning, God, we wanna heed your word. We wanna surrender the things that we have grabbed onto that are shaken things, broken things, things that will not last. And we wanna grab on to you and to the kingdom that you're bringing to us. We wanna receive it by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would loosen our hearts, you would loosen our tongue, you would loosen our minds so that thankfulness and worship would flow from us, that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, in your gratitude, in your praise of God. And that spirit, you would fix our eyes on the beauty and the worth and the majesty and the goodness and the desirability of Jesus. And would you meet with us, among us, and move and set people free today and bring breakthrough for people today because we need you right now in this moment to meet with us and set us, break ropes, break ch chains, untether these, these birds that they may fly free. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.